What's the worst part about breaking four tackles and running into the end zone for the game-winning touchdown? Not having your Wayfair still with you to protect your eyes from all the flashbulbs. Sounders, keep your shades anchored and where they belong during life's greatest feats. Head to soundergoods.com and use promo code KTTC to get 10% off and free shipping with any order. You're listening to the Keef to the City Podcast. Here's Neil Keefe. All right, so after what seemed like uh, days and days and days of negotiating, John Lester is a member of the Chicago Cubs, his uh, third team in just a couple months now after looking like forever he'd be a lifelong member of the Red Sox, maybe get his number um, up there on that uh, Bud Light uh, right field roof deck in Fenway Park or the Budweiser, whatever they call it. And uh, here to join me today to talk about John Lester and his decision, which became final early, early on Wednesday morning, is Danny Picard. You can uh, hear him on weekends on uh, WEEI in Boston. Also catch him on TV up there on Comcast Sportsnet New England. Dan, how's it going today? It's going, Neil. How are you? I'm doing well. I I was looking back at the last time we talked, and it was the day before the trade deadline, and that was at the time when um, – you know, Lester just had gone to the A's and, and they got Cespedes back in the deal. And you had mentioned back then that you thought he was gone for good because if he didn't, there'd be some investigation for collusion between the Red Sox and Lester mm-hmm. and sort of planning ahead for 2015 and beyond and getting him back. And now you look at it and, and it came down to the Red Sox and uh, Cubs in this instance, which people thought all along. And he didn't go to the highest bidder who happened to be the Giants. He, he went to the second highest bidder who happened to be the Cubs. And they only offered a little bit more, and, and certainly $20 million, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, isn't a little bit of money, but in this in this sense it is. And just $20 million more, why didn't the Red Sox, you know, why couldn't they just go $20 million more? It's not like they haven't spent that kind of money on lesser commodities in the past. Um, well, I mean, I think the Red Sox, we know just the recent history, uh, they put a price on a guy, and they're going to stick to that price. Uh, you're right. When, when I was in your show, I remember during the trade deadline, I, I said that, you know, this guy was, this guy was gone for good. And, you know, I felt that way throughout the whole process because Lester didn't play this thing like some, Lester didn't play this free agent period like somebody that was going to come back, uh, to the team that he once was with and that he once said he was going to take a hometown discount with. So, um, I, I, the reason the Red Sox didn't get him, look, I, I, I don't know. I mean, again, they put a price on a guy I would have liked to have seen. The Red Sox pony up some more money and and bring them back, but I think what it came down to, and Ben Sherrington said this earlier down at the winter meet over at the winter meetings, was uh, it came down to a situation where another team just just wanted to to pay him more money, and and the Cubs certainly did that. But I, I think what what frustrates me is that there's this idea there in Boston and New England today that seems to be overwhelming that, that most people believe this and even especially media members. And I mean, I'm every two seconds, I got to listen to another reporter tell me about, uh, you know, the sob story of John Lester only being offered four years at 72 million, which by the way, comes out to 18 million a year. Um, and how Lester felt betrayed and he, he was upset with that. And because of that deal, he wasn't going to renegotiate with the Red Sox. And, And it's funny because while these people knock the Red Sox by telling the story, they're also telling us that John Lester refused to negotiate during the season, especially at the trade deadline and before they traded him, when Ben Sherrington, 
uh, which is a, a very well-known story, how Sherrington went to John Lester before he traded him to Oakland and said, hey, can we sit back down at the negotiation table and, and talk about keeping you here? John Lester said, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to test the free agent market. This idea that John Lester was going to accept a deal in spring training or during the season, to me, is outrageous. I, I don't believe him. Um, I think that John Lester had his mindset, even the, even the day he came out in January last year and said that he was going to take a hometown discount when nobody really asked him about it and he was adamant and he even described it as a Dustin Pedroia type deal. I didn't really believe him then. I, or at least I said, well, let's wait and see. If he's going to take a hometown discount, then they're going to get something done during the season. And as it turns out, he didn't even want to talk about it, whether he felt disrespected or not for that deal, whether people think that was lowballing Lester for four years, $72 million or not. A negotiation is a negotiation, and it takes two to make a deal. And John Lester didn't want to negotiate with the Red Sox, and I can't, I can't ignore that. And that pisses me off, to be honest with you. And, and not that it doesn't piss me off that John Lester would negotiate. It pisses me off that we're all sort of putting the blame on the Red Sox solely while not acknowledging that Lester wouldn't negotiate. So, look, John Lester can go and make all the money he wants. He deserves it. He earns every penny uh, that he made in this deal with the Cubs. Uh, I will never fault an athlete for going out and getting the money. But when it comes time to to play in the blame game, which is something that we're going to do now in Boston for a long time with this this John Lester, this Chicago thing, uh, while I am putting some blame on the Red Sox for not spending enough money here when it came down to it, uh, going up against the Cubs, I also have to put blame on John Lester for for being a guy that didn't just didn't want to negotiate. And in my opinion, a guy that had this thing played out perfectly, he was brilliant. I think it was an act from day one. In fact, I look at the four years, seventy two mil, and I say that's the best thing that ever happened to this guy. Because when you offer four for seventy two, and from the outside looking in, you know it looks like a slap in the face. Lester and his agent, they played that perfectly like it was a slap in the face. They knew they were testing free agency since day one. And you can't convince me that if the Red Sox offered John Lester 120 mil for whatever it was, five years or 130 for six during the season, you can't convince me that he was going to sign that. I'm just not convinced that he would have signed it either way. Well, see, here's the thing. I I don't know about that because I feel like going back to his 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 previous deal where he took the hometown discount, and I know that Pedroia did the same thing along those lines, and they both had quotes about saying, you know, this is enough money for for me and my family for a lifetime just to play baseball. So to me, had they started at a more reasonable thing, and and yes, eighteen million dollars is a lot, but when you're putting it in just four years, and that he'd have to hit the market again at thirty four, and who knows what his health would be, or if anyone uh, you know with the way baseball is moving wants to sign up, uh, you know. Uh, a mid-30s guy for any more than that. So to give him that offer to start negotiations, uh, you know, it did seem like a kind of a slap in the face because you look at other pitchers of lesser ability who have gotten more uh, on the market. And, and I, you know, turned to A.J. Burnett because he got 582 and a half and John Lackey got the similar thing to that. And it just seems like there was more money out there, you know, to be made for Lester that, yes, if he wanted to test the free agent market all along, then this certainly worked out um, well for him. But if the Red Sox were willing to go up to what they did here and losing on this deal is 6-130 or whatever the, the final reported number is, they could have at least started closer. And I know, like you said, it's a negotiation. It takes two parties to do it. But if they were willing to come up that high all along, why start by you know you're giving your franchise number one left hander 
472, 470, whatever it is. It just seems like a terrible place to start. And I feel like if anyone's to blame, certainly Lester is if he didn't want to negotiate and this was his plan all along. But I think the most of the blame has to go on Red Sox ownership and Sherrington because for them to not understand the market and not understand who Lester is, uh, to start there all along just seemed like a bad idea. Well, I, I, look, and this isn't me trying to uh, deflect uh, blame from Red Sox. I mean, I think the Red Sox should blame, too. Uh, look, I, if you ask me where, where should the Red Sox spend the money this offseason, it should have been on John Lester. I wanted to see Lester come back. Uh, I never wanted to trade him in the first place. Um, this is a guy that we know can pitch in this market and can and you know be successful here. You know, you can go out and get somebody that's got big numbers somewhere else. You know, you can go get Johnny Cueto, which you know I, I think that should probably be the move that they should probably try to make. Um, but who's to say that he's going to have success in this market? Right? You, you have no idea. At least one thing we knew with Lester was. He, he could handle the pressure of pitching in a city uh, like Boston uh, so, and in a ballpark like Fenway. Uh, so I wanted to bring him back. And so I do put blame on the Red Sox for, for not going out and spending money. But there's a, I, I just think when you, when you go back to that original offer, and, and a lot of people here in Boston have their panties in a bunch because they, they think he, they lowballed him there, uh, you know, I, I think there's, there's specific it's, situa- it's situational, and, and we can't forget that they went into this thinking that, okay, this is a guy that we're probably going to be able to save some money on because he came out and said he was going to take a hometown discount. Now, I know whether people think that's a good business move or not, that's the business approach they took. I think there was a method to their madness. Uh, I was told way back when that, that part of the offer to John Lester was going to be this whole – uh, legacy bit, how he was, they, yes, they, they weren't going to give him as much money that he was going to make on the free agent market, and they made that clear to him, but they were going to, you know, the legacy in Boston, they were going to, uh, you know, make him the, the biggest pitcher, the biggest man pitcher the organization has, has ever had. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree with that, with, with not giving him, but if you look at what he said, and you look at the fact that a negotiation, if you actually think you're going to be able to talk to a guy, look, I, I bet if the Red Sox thought Lester was going to cut off all contract talk during the season, I, I bet you that that offer would have been higher if they had figured, hey, this guy's not going to talk to us if we offered X amount. I mean, I, I just think that if they, if John Lester wanted to stay in Boston, even after that offer, the, the the years that he spent here, the you know the fact that his fa- his family was there, if that is all true and he wanted to come back, there's a way to get in the room and figure things out. Um, I, I, the the fact that they didn't even get in the room frustrates me to the point where I can't just put the blame on the Red Sox. I put blame on the Red Sox, sure, for the reasons I just said. They should have spent the money. They have the money to spend. I want Lester back, but Lester's the blame too. I, I'm sorry, I can't just sit here and and think that John Lester is someone that, you know, is saying all the right things. And if you ask me, I don't think he was ever coming back here. I, this whole this whole nonsense about the Red Sox being one of the final teams in as well, I, I think all that was was John Lester saying, I'm going to make them a part of this, or at least I'm going to make them think they are, and I'm going to use the Red Sox as the biggest piece, biggest bargaining chip I could possibly get with Theo, knowing that the, the Red Sox could have spent 160 this last night. And Theo would have spent 170. That's to me. John Lester knew that, and I think the Red Sox also knew that. And given all those factors involved, 
all the things that Lester said before, the fact that he wouldn't negotiate, I think the four for 72, we consider and say, oh, you know, woe is done, Lester, poor kid, didn't get the fair deal. I'm not going to blame him for doing that, but I think when we give out the blame, you know, for, for you know, why this deal didn't get done with the Red Sox, I can't just look at the Red Sox. You know what I'm saying? I can't just put everything no, on the Red Sox ownership, and I think that's what we tend to do in this town because they're the cheap Red Sox ownership that put a price on somebody. Uh, I just, I just, look, I, I think if you're going to put blame, it's got to go to both sides. Well, from the Red Sox standpoint, when they – make the decision that they're going to trade him at the deadline and get Cespedes back. Do you think that they honestly thought that they were going to get Lester back in free agency because of, you know, the, the way he had made it sound like he wanted a hometown discount and all that? Did you think that they, that their plan going into it was, well, we'll play with the string this year. We're not going anywhere, but we'll be the team that ends up landing him come the off season. No, I mean, I just don't think, and the same thing with Andrew Miller, you know, who, you know, now with the Yankee, um, everybody had these, Theory that the Red Sox and Lester were in cahoots, or the Red Sox and Miller were in cahoots. These guys are going to come running back. It's just not the way it works. I mean, look, John Lester wanted to test the free agent market. I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced he wanted to test the free agent market from day one. I think the Red Sox knew that based on on how he wouldn't negotiate. Um, so, I, you know, once they trade him, I think they realized it made it a whole lot tougher to bring him back. But again, they put together this package. Where they, you know, promoted, they, they told him the, they were going to have this whole legacy bit with him in a Red Sox uniform and how he was going to be portrayed here when he comes back. And I think Lester's camp is saying, well, we can take these steps along the way to save face in Boston and still go out and get the big deal. I, I, I'm convinced that that was Lester's strategy, that he was never coming back here from the get go because he knew the Red Sox weren't going to give as much as anybody else. And, you know, for all the talk that, that Lester turned down the Giants' offer and it was the most money. It's almost laughable to me because when you hear the reasons why he turned down the offer, it's because of, you know, the taxes in, in, in the taxes <laughs> in the state of California. So it, it, all comes, it all does come back to money. So I, that, that's laughable to me when I hear people say, well, he turned down the biggest offer. Well, but why did he turn down the biggest offer? Because he actually wasn't going to make as much money as everybody said he was going to. I think that John Lester... Personally, had a plan. I think his agent had a plan. I think it began with the hometown discount comment, and it ended with him signing, you know, the biggest deal that he could get from the team and the guy that he wanted to go play for. That's it. And he used the Red Sox as the biggest bargaining chip he could, and it worked out perfectly because all along the way in the process, he saves face here in Boston, and everybody's blaming the Red Sox ownership, and nobody's pointing the finger at John Lester. Well, maybe I know you had brought up that idea of collusion back in July, but maybe there's some tampering we need to look at into uh, here with Theo and Jed in Chicago. I mean, look, I'm not going to look into it. <laughs> I, um, I, I, I assume it happens. I, you know, if you want me to think that John Lester and Theo Epstein haven't talked you know, since he left town, I'd say, you know, you're full of, you know what. I mean, of course, these guys talk. I, um, I was going to say, I always, I always love that in sports when people, you know, the, the league, the commissioner will start an investigation to someone for tampering as if teams don't, you know, GMs don't text players they have a relationship with and say things like, oh, I can't wait till two years from now when you're a free agent, we'll make a run at you. Like, I mean, that stuff goes on and there's nothing you can do about it. But um, I, I just never understood why that was made such a big deal because that goes on in anything. Yeah, I, I mean, again, I, you look, we all know people who, who 
uh, professional athletes and, and guys communicate with each other on other teams. I mean, it happens. You know, and, and Theo's a young enough guy with, and, and he has a relationship with Lester just because they're in different organizations and just because one's going to be a free agent soon, they, what, they just cut off communication from each other? I don't think that happens. And look, I'm not calling for an investigation. I'm not, I, I don't want to see that happen. I, that, that would be foolish to me because whether, whether Theo talked to Lester or not, um, I think he had his, again, I, and good, look, good for him. He, he deserves every single moment of being, you know, people whining and dying him and making him feel like he was the best pitcher in baseball the last couple of days, last couple of weeks. That's fine. I mean, go do that. I'm not going to sit here and crush an athlete for doing it. But when it comes time here in Boston, you know, for people to, to point the finger and be angry about something, all, all I'm trying to do here, and I'm, I'm going to be doing that soon, um, whether it's this weekend on EEI, on TV next week, this week, or, or on my blog or whatever, on Twitter, whatever it may be, my message is going to be, let's all take a step back before we continue to, to crucify the Red Sox ownership and the Red Sox front office. Are they to blame? Yes. But uh, should we let John Lester off easy? Absolutely not. I think he had a plan. And I think he executed it perfectly. I mean, he just made 155 mil with the Chicago Cubs. And I think when he talked about a hometown discount last year, I think he had all of this in mind. I think he was testing the free agent market from day one, and I think he knew from day one that the Red Sox weren't going to give him the money that another team like the Cubs would, and he was going to use that to his advantage to turn this around on the Red Sox ownership and leave town, save face, and get a huge deal in the process. Good for him. He perfected his plan. It really is a brilliant. Him and his agent, brilliant. But when people knock the Red Sox for 4 for 70, 4 for 72, whatever it was, that's the best thing that's ever happened to John Lester. Well, the next thing I want to talk about is sort of a hypothetical, but it's a two-part. And the first part being that, say they don't make that trade, and they don't send him to Oakland, and they just keep him on the team for the remainder of the year. And I, I understand that maybe at the time they thought he was going to leave anyway, and maybe that's their whole reason they traded him or, or thought that he had his sights set on other places or on in, or in more money than they'd offer, ever offer him. But if he finishes the season with the Red Sox, is he still a Cub today? I mean, that's like with that. I, I, I don't see a situation where the Red Sox wouldn't trade him last year. I mean, so... If, he, if they didn't trade him, I would – see, if they didn't trade him, I would like to think that there would be a reason for that, almost as if they would both have the agreement where, okay, we're pretty close. Oh, we've been talking, and we're going to get a deal done. If you told me they didn't trade Lester last year, I would say, yeah, he would still be a Red Sox, but only because the reason you wouldn't trade him is because you're close. A deal. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I, I just Ben Sherrington tells a story that is is mind boggling to me that people don't get on Lester for, which is at the trade deadline. And Ben Sherrington told it today too. He told her he told it as he sat there at the press conference at the day of the trade. He, he told it um, today at the winter meetings. He he said, "Look, the trade deadline. We went. I went to John Lester personally, and I said, let's have a discussion. Let's get to the. You know, we want to bring it back." And Lester said, no, I, I can't get over that. For a guy that kept saying he wants to stay, and especially for a guy that supposedly kept the Red Sox in the final two of this whole thing, if you still care that much about this organization after being mobile, why wouldn't you just have a discussion? How does that hurt anything at all? 
The reason he didn't have a discussion is because he was still using that four for 72 as leverage to save face in this town and to go out and get his big contract. John Lester had a plan. People, I think, need to wake up and see that, but, but they're not going to do it. It's so it's almost like I'm yelling at myself most of the time here. Um, it, it, it just frustrates me the more I talk about it because the plan, in my eyes, is, is so good that I almost would like to use it someday, you know, if I ever get that opportunity. I mean, if I was a major league player and you asked me to lay out a plan with my agent, how do I get the most money I possibly can for the, from the, for the team that I want to go to, this, while saving face with the organization that I won two championships with and still want to be adored years down the line, I would say this is the exact strategy I would use. John Lester perfected it. it, it it's a beautiful thing, actually, on his end. Well, the next part of it is that the fact that you know they, they end up trading Lester, they don't sign him in free agency, so he's gone, and now the piece they, they got him with Cespedes, they're trying to move him and trade him because they went out yeah. and got Hanley and Pablo, so it's almost like... The whole they didn't really get much back for Leicester if they're going to turn around and get rid of Cespedes and they've already got the other two holes filled. I'm not really sure, you know, wh- where they're headed, what the direction are the ideas there. Well, I think they're going to package Cespedes with some prospects and you know try to say to a team, okay, we're giving you prospects, but we're also giving you a guy that's going to help you this year. Whether it's put butts in the seats, sell a couple tickets, a couple jerseys, or maybe even you know you stick him in the city and he entertains the idea of, hey, I like it here. I'm going to resign here. Um, you know, who knows? Uh, at least leave that option open. So I think they'll package Cespedes. He's gone. I don't need to keep him. That's fine. I mean, you know, they got Bruce Castillo. They got to put Hanley in left. Uh, I, I can't, I, honestly, I'm, I'm more upset with Andrew Miller not being around than I am John Lester. I just think it's two different situations. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, but Cespedes, they're going to trade him. They better get pitching. If I had to make a move, I would really try to go for a package deal and get Cueto and Chapman, and I'd give them whatever they want and make that happen, and uh, then you can work from there. But Cespedes, yeah, he, he's gone. He won't be on this team next year. Well, you mentioned Andrew Miller, and now that he's a Yankee, and my whole thing was, you know, I'm happy he's here, but at the same time, I thought if they only got him or Robertson, they didn't bring both of them in I thought it was going to be a failure and that's certainly the case with Robertson leaving and now it's Miller and Batances and I'm not really sure what they'll do um, in the later innings and, and how they'll solve that but at the front of the, everything is the Yankees rotation which when healthy is Tanaka, Pineda, Sabathia, Nova, Phelps uh, depending on what happens with Kuroda who you know ends up being their uh, most reliable guy last year the oldest guy in the whole staff but when it comes to the Red Sox, I mean, right now their opening day starter would have to be Clay Buckholz, and after that, it's kind of messy, and I think that's the biggest reason why, at least here in New York, we, we feel like uh, the the Red Sox took a bigger hit than normal is because they don't really you know have much to rely on. The kids that they brought up last year, they, they were serviceable and, and had their you know highs and lows, but... To not get Lester back uh, is pretty big, and now you hear them talking about you know either getting in a trade like with Cueto or something along those lines, or or uh, going after an average you know three four guy in Wade Miley, which is what he would be in the AL. So, I mean that has to be your biggest concern now is the fact that Lester's gone, and, and there's not really you know much left unless they do make a run at Scherzer or uh, or even James Shields. You can guarantee I, this is a guarantee. Um, Clay Buckholz will not be the opening day starter for the Red Sox because. <laughs> They are going to make a move, and and they realize that they acknowledge that. If they don't, you know, then somebody then somebody needs to get fired. So, <laughs> um, they are going to make a move, whether it's Cole Hamels, whether it's John Cueto, 
whether it is, you know, trading for someone that we didn't even know was on the trade market that's a big-name pitcher, that's the guy that will be stopping on opening day for this Red Sox team. Um, and I do think they're going to make that move. So I don't think we can grade what this rotation is going to look like, even though people are upset that Lester's not back. Would I prefer Lester over any of those guys? Yes. Uh, if, But I said this from day one. If he goes to the Cubs, which I, I thought from day one he was going to go, uh, I firmly believe that it's not the end of the world. I, I think the Red Sox, when they sign Sandoval and you bring in Hanley and you brought in Castillo, you know, you get all these guys, you get Jackie Bradley in the organization, you get Cespedes to trade, you even got a Mookie Betts, you got a couple different catches. Um, I think you're in a position of, of, of power where you can make a couple different big deals, blockbuster deals. My only concern would be, given how last year ended with some of these prospect pitches that the Red Sox have, what's their value on the trade market now? Uh, that would be my concern because a lot of these kids came out last year and they completely shit the bed <laughs> when it came time to to, to put on a, a tryout with everybody watching and saying, okay, this is your team. You, this can be your rotation if you want it to be. You can be the opening day starter next year if you want to be. Take it and run with it. And we saw a handful of kids come up who were supposed to be top prospects in the organization, and they just didn't get it done. So that's my biggest concern right now. Yes, I think they're in a position of power because they have a lot of prospects, but which ones, which one of these prospects has the most value on the market? I don't really know. I mean, I guess we could say Mookie Betts. I don't think they're going to trade Xander Bogots. At least I don't think they should. Um, but they'll make a move. They'll, they'll make a move. They might even make two. They're going to get pitching. I think you can't grade it yet because it, there's just, there's too many, there's too many prospects that the Red Sox have in which they can, they can go out and acquire someone. They will acquire a pitcher. When you look at uh, the Cubs situation and, and Theo and Jed going there a few years ago, um, they get Joe Madden to go there. Now they've got John Lester to go there. And, and they certainly do have you know, the young offensive talent or, or at least what appears to be the, you know, the right uh, set of guys to be a core for the future. And, and they try to work in this rotation and get some more pitching. And you look at it in comparison to what was Boston before 2004. And I think everyone wants to sort of go to Chicago. And, and maybe this factored into Lester's decision as well because – uh, the idea of winning there and, and finally ending ending their curse there, you know, going back now over a hundred years. And mm. while it's different than Boston because people wanted to be part of that, it seemed like at the end, but a lot of people didn't because of the aftermath of what would come if you didn't get it done. People in Boston care so deeply about the Red Sox, are so passionate about it that um, it, it's almost like you'd become an enemy if you weren't part of the solution and were still part of the problem. Whereas in Chicago, I feel like everyone's just accepted the fact that maybe they'll never win again. So um, there's really no downfall for these guys, and maybe. Maybe that played a little into Lester's role, seeing that he could be a hero um, not only in Boston to help them, you know, return to to being a you know a, a winning championship team, and, and even though he wasn't there for that first one, he's there for the last two, and now he has that same idea and that same chance to go there and do it once again this time in Chicago. Yeah, if you're asking me what I would do if I was in Lester's shoes, I would do the same thing, and and you know that's why I didn't like the whole Red Sox trying to pitch this legacy bit to, to Lester in a Red Sox uniform because Lester turns around and say, well. You want to talk about legacy? How much, how much more of a legacy would I have in Major League Baseball if I go to Chicago and help them win a World Series? Um, you know, now I think with with 
got to be talking potential Hall of Fame, right? I mean, that, that that's that's where you go to. That's the level John Lester can get to on top of making, you know, all that 155 mil. So, yeah, I, I think Chicago's just uh, a, a place that, that he had his sights set on from day one. I, I, I would, too. But when it comes back to the people here in New England and Boston and even around baseball, when it comes time to criticize someone, all I'm saying is this. Uh, the Red Sox are, are to blame because they didn't give enough money and they have the money to spend. But also, for the people that want to keep going back to that original offer and how that sort of screwed everything up and Lester wouldn't talk about that, um, I, I just think... It, there's, there's no re- if you really want to stay somewhere, there is no reason to let that deal affect a conversation during the season. I'm sorry, there's, there's, there's nothing. But it's so, I just feel like he had Chicago sight sets on the Cubs from day one. Um, it's, it's going to be a great place for him to be. And yeah, if he can win there, then you know he's, he's a legend. So. Um, and not just in Chicago, but in baseball, because he can always come back and say, "Hey, I also want two with the Red Sox." And on top of it, he's making this, this, this he's signing this big contract. So uh, I wish him the best. He was great when he was here. Uh, I wanted him to return. It's not the end of the world that he's not coming back because, like I said, I think the Red Sox will make moves. But when it comes time to play the playing game, I just want people to know that maybe they should look at both sides and not just one. Well, for as uh, down as you seem to be on the Red Sox and the situation now, you, you got to be uh, at least equally as happy about the state of the Patriots. Uh, yeah, I will, well, we will. Um, we'll I was see expecting how these a much better, games go. I, I think. I just response. think. I think that these, and I think the Jets game is going to be a, a tougher game than people think. I think the Jets got another fight in them, and and that kind of scares me. Uh, I'm not scared of the Dolphins coming to New England. The Bills, not really. It's that Jets game. You go to New York, there's just something about that, playing for Rex. So just one more shot, you know, to beat the Patriots with Rex. I, it's, that game scares me, but I still think they'll win. I think that'll be a dogfight, though, for sure. Um, and now uh, we're all looking at Green Bay, right, to say that's going to be the team. I'm not even convinced that Green Bay is going to be in the Super Bowl. But I, I, I do think that the Patriots are going to win these three, have – AFC Championship at Gillette, and I think they'll beat Denver. And um, I'm, I guess I'm hoping that they played Detroit in, the, in that championship game. <laughs> well, I was thinking I was going to bring that up, and it just seems like whoever, uh, and they certainly have the, the edge over uh, Denver right now, but whoever does get the AFC Championship game at home like it's been in the past is, is going to end up representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. And I just hope that, like you said, I don't know if it'll be Green Bay. That that was a pretty poor showing at, against Atlanta at home the other night. But uh, whether it's them or Seattle, I feel like those are really the only two teams that have a chance to knock off the Patriots if it gets to that point. And, and probably Denver at home would be the only other thing. So if they do lock it up, I think uh, I think you're looking at another, another Super Bowl appearance. Yeah, I mean, I don't... I don't even look if the AFC Championships. If something goes wrong with the Patriots the next couple games, and the AFC Championship ends up being in Denver, I don't think that's a guaranteed win for Denver. I I think what the Patriots did was build their defense to be able to win that game on the road in the AFC Championship. When you look at last year's AFC Championship, a keep to leave the minute he goes down, Peyton Manning's throwing to Demarius Thomas and Alfonso Dennis just can't cover him. Game over. Uh, the year before that, against Baltimore, Akeem Tlaib goes down. 
Ravens turn it on, Ravens beat the Patriots. That, to me, is this, that guy, that position, that physical corner, shutdown corner. The minute that guy's gone down to the Patriots, things have fallen apart. More so than falling apart because they're going into another team's stadium for a big game and the noise is affecting them. That, that, that didn't, to me, that wasn't the difference maker. I didn't come away from the AFC Championship game last year saying, well, if this game... You know, if it was in Gillette, it would have been different. I don't I don't think so. I, I think if you keep the Leafs stayed healthy in that game last year, the game would have been different. So they added Brown into the mix. He's been great. Um, Revis has been outstanding. It's, the safeties know their roles a little bit more now because of that. And you got a kid like Jamie Collins who, who seems to be loving that A-gap blitz, which I love and I wish the Patriots would use more of. This is a defense that really built themselves to win I think the game on the road in the AFC Championship. So if it's not at home, I don't necessarily look at that and say Denver's going to definitely win. I actually would pick the Patriots to win that game, even if it is on the road. All right, Dan. Well, thanks for uh, coming on here today to talk about John Lester again. I know it's been the only topic really we've talked about the last two times, but we've got a lot coming up. Uh, we got Rangers-Bruins in a few weeks. I'm sure the Yankees mm-hmm. and Red Sox have a lot still to go on in the next few months. And then uh, if your Patriots get back to the Super Bowl, we'll be in touch. So thanks again, and I look forward to talking to you again. All right, thanks, Neil.